Hey guys, Jared here, CEO and founder of Luminous. This is the Ops Unfiltered podcast. I started Ops Unfiltered because I know what it feels like to be in operations and e-commerce. You're handling every single part of the business. It's easy to feel siloed in. It's easy to feel like you have to find a solution for everything. I hope that by bringing raw conversations from other operators in e-commerce, that you can extract some value and not feel alone. Many of the operations leaders in e-commerce are running into the same problems that you're running into. So I hope that maybe their solutions can be your solutions. Maybe you can feel not so alone in the warehouse, in purchasing, in your supply chain. So that's my hope. I hope this can be valuable for all of you. Let's dive in to have some raw conversations. Company was still pretty small, like sub 1 million in revenue or mm -hmm. so. About that before I came on. Not so, saying that I was a reason for the growth, but yeah, it was still fairly after small. I, so after it, I came on, just yeah, operations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the reason I'm here. <laughs> Nepotism is strong. No, but I quit a sales job that I hated, and they were hiring for this. I came on and just little by little started taking on more projects. When was that next level past this one million dollar mark? I mean, we started growing pretty quick after that. I think we had like we jumped up from a million to four, and then to eight and just kind of started ramping up. I'd been there six months, so like middle of 2018, Colby was like, hey, do you want to be the COO? <laughs> and I was like, I don't even know what that is. Like, let me Google it. And then I kind of, you know, pieced that together. But that was kind of when it all happened. What were struggles that you, you faced when you were young in your operations career? How did you handle it? And then give me an example of something now. Always feeling like I was the reason we weren't Here to my right, our guest today is Mitch Sanders. He's the CEO of ThreadWallets. Happy to be here. I'm super excited to have Mitch here. Uh, Mitch, like I said, is the CEO of Thread. ThreadWallets is a local Utah company. Um, and I think that they represent perfectly the type of company and the type of operations that I want to have conversations around. Um, and Mitch, luckily enough... Um, you you were at Thread since the beginning, right? Not quite. So, well, Kenzie and McColby Bauer, Kenzie and McColby, Mackenzie and Colby Bauer, McColby, I kind of like that. There's the couple name. Um, they started a company in 2015. I came on uh, like January 2018. Okay. So there are a few years in there where they, I mean, company was still pretty small, like sub 1 million in revenue or mm -hmm. so. About that before I came on, not so, saying that I was a reason for the growth, but <laughs> yeah. it was still fairly after small. I, so after and, I came on, just yeah, operations, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but still was on pretty uh pretty early. Okay, so because this is not about the founding story of Threads, so yeah. like let's just real quick two sentences catch us up to the point that that you got in. Like what what were they doing? They 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 were just hand sewing wallets and stuff. Um, yeah, so the idea stemmed from, I believe it was like an entrepreneurship class that, BYU, or that Colby was at at BYU Hawaii. It was a, hey, you've got a semester, build a product, try and make some money. So Colby figured out that he could sublimate on a piece of elastic. Mm. Um, the first elastic wallet was a poop emoji, I think. So Colby <laughs> sublimated that on there and then they figured out they could get a ring, sew it on. And there you go. So they were doing that mm -hmm. for even before 2015. And they were in Hawaii selling at farmer's markets, doing different things like that. And then came to Provo. Company started growing. They were still making them themselves for a really long time. Uh, and then a little bit before I came on, they had started outsourcing the manufacturing. You came on post like hacky entrepreneur phase where like you just kind of do bit, stuff. Yeah. Like um, now... When you came on, what did their technology look like? Like, let's get behind the business. Like, yeah. how how were they fulfilling orders? What were they selling through when you came on? Yeah, like, so what channels? A little more context too. I came on like beginning of 2018, and I actually just came on to be customer service rep, head of much. customer relations. Actually. Uh, yeah, I, I was trying to doctor it up for LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> there, I was the head of yeah, one you. person. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah. But so actually, Mackenzie's my cousin. 
And so that's how I knew about Thread when it was a little bit smaller and I just quit a sales job. Oh, that Thread I, has lots of nepotism. That I, it's I, great. Yeah, that's the reason I'm here. <laughs> nepotism is strong. Um, <laughs> no, but I quit a sales job that I hated and they were hiring for this. Kenzie wanted to stop doing the customer service herself because she was doing it herself at the time. There were a couple other employees as well. So she wanted to stop doing that. I came on and just little by little started taking on more projects. I uh, did like... I remember doing a focus group at one point, the first focus group ever leading that. I was learning about focus groups in school at the time. So it was like, okay, well, let's just try and apply what I'm learning here. And then Colby wanted to start slowly stepping away from the day-to-day stuff. So he would slowly feed me different responsibilities until I'd been there for four or five months or so. And Colby was like, how many people were involved in the business? So you got Kinsey, Colby, and then... At the time, there was probably... Six to eight, seven or eight, I think, people okay. that were there. So Ken's, Colby, myself, a couple the, of people doing marketing, finance. Okay, so marketing, finance. Uh, and C- Colby was doing, he was still making them and also At that fulfilling point, them? Colby wasn't making them. Okay. They were working with um, overseas manufacturers. Okay, so they had just, sorry, they had just started. Yeah, they had started overseas. before I got there. Got it. But Colby started wanting to step away a little bit, have me help manage some of the supply chain stuff. And then get into the operations. So pretty quickly it evolved from I'm not just answering emails. I am working in so ship station to begin with. We were yeah. with and then Stitch Labs. Yep. We were we with for a little under. while, who yeah. is gone now. But okay. Oh, wait, there's there's so much to talk about here. Okay. So all right. Let's let's get a, a really good idea. Yeah. At Luminous, we're obsessed with like like what are the actual attributes of the company at a specific point? So, okay, this point in time, mm-hmm. you've come on, you're sourcing from China. Where are you fulfilling out of the a garage? Or at that point, we were fulfilling out of a three PL, who we still fulfill with. No way, who Evo who? Box is Evo their Box. name. Okay. Yeah, so they're in Lehigh, Utah, and we've been with them for even a little bit before I got there. So it's been five to six years now. Wow, and they have moved. We've worked with them in three different warehouses. So okay. they have slowly upgraded their square footage and they've really stepped up their game and scaled. So we've kind of grown together. That's so cool. Which has been really nice. And there's a loyalty there between the two of us mm. that you're not going to, we don't feel like we could get elsewhere where, I mean, they treat us very well. We treat them well. We helped each other get where we are. And so it's been a really beneficial partnership. This is interesting. So something that I always harp on at yeah. Luminous is like, there's a difference between the evolution of a brand that goes with a 3PL very early on, like Thread. Yeah. So like the, basically you, you, Colby and Kinsey chose to forego the complexity of fulfillment, which th- there's positives and negatives that we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, but okay, so at that time, $1 million in revenue, you're coming in, head of customer relations. Um, when you you start handling purchasing and then also, I, I guess, walk us through that. Like at that point, you're you're just handling orders that are coming, uh, orders that have issues coming in through Shopify. And you're also just purchasing. Like what systems are you using for all those things right there? Yeah, at the time, I'm trying to think back here. So ShipStation is what we were using with EvoBox. Okay. So Shopify was connected there, pushing orders into ShipStation. And that's you you would just log in to like pull reports and stuff, I assume, from ShipStation. Uh they yeah, just gave I wasn't you a login. Doing a ton. It was like mainly pulling reports from Shopify. Mm, okay. Um we had Stitch Labs in there. That was a software that was that we were using before I came on. And so I do remember using that to manage like our purchasing primarily. But I think we were way over our head. Like we were buying something. We were using something that we were not even fully utilizing. Do you remember what it was at the time? No, no, Stitch Labs was... Oh, sorry. That's what I'm saying. Like we were using... We had Stitch Labs, but like I was probably using... 10%, 10%, maybe 25% yeah, so, uh, of the capabilities of it. Uh, just for, for reference, I do know a little bit about... So Stitch Labs, they were... they. It was actually interesting. Like Very similar to Luminous. They They tried to service the multi-channel brand. Yeah. They just expanded way too fast. And like they were a classic like a big example. thing yeah. for a little while. 
And they, yeah, they just, they went out of business. They couldn't fulfill. Um, their product was built too fast. Go to market was too fast. And they just sort of imploded. So, Which is um, wild. But we got out of Stitch Labs before they went under. Mm, um, okay. So it was working for us. It was pretty expensive, if I remember correctly. Uh, after a little while, I remember we switched to Finale Inventory. So, the, okay, here we go. So you come on, it's just like, you're doing basically the least amount of work. Like it's not, not in a bad way. Like yeah, you choose the least amount of friction. Like yeah, yeah. It, you have a three PL you're, you're about a million dollars in revenue. You're using steps, stitch labs to help purchase and forecast. And you're just hand, you're just reactive. Like you're just reactively handling the issues that come in on Shopify. If there's an issue at stitch labs, they go into ship station, look at it. And then you're using 10% of, of stitch labs. Maybe something like that. Yeah. yeah. It was so okay. long ago. And I was so new too that it was like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to be looking at here. <laughs> like inventories here I can purchase and you keep track of POs. But what do you remember about that? Like, what do you that time period right there when you started to get more into purchasing? Um, what are some of the fires you remember that you had to like continually put out? Um, I just remember always being behind on not having enough inventory mm. and being like every time we'd place a PO, uh, frequently we'd place a PO and it would be like, okay, so with, with that tech stack right there, yeah, Stitch Labs, which you weren't using it to its fullest capabilities, mm-hmm. Shopify, ShipStation. And, and by the what channels were you selling through? At that time, we were D to C on our own website, and then I think we had a little bit of wholesale. Okay, little like wholesale, pretty DC. small. All right, and I think that's what the introduction of wholesale is. Why Colby may have onboarded Stitch Labs to begin with. Again, I'm not even sure because I think it was, hey, we're going multi-channel. Mm. We have different things going on, and then we I think had a little bit of Amazon Got going it. on, just FBA. Okay, so with that tech stack mix right there, yeah, you said the big, your biggest problem was I was always behind in inventory. How did you forecast back then? We'll get to the present how you yeah. forecast now, but like, give me the newbie forecasting. I mean, it was just pretty much pulling data into spreadsheets, parsing. It was what do we have available? What do we have incoming? What have our sales been the last seven, fourteen, thirty, sixty days? And then just extrapolating from there based on this is our sales velocity per day. I wasn't that great at the seasonality piece of things mm-hmm. that had yet to click of like, I'm going to need more inventory for, <laughs> like it kind of did for your November, December. Right. But like there was a lot of time where that didn't quite get reflected in the numbers. So it'd be like, hey, I want inventory for 90 days. And we have this many days on hand. Not accounting for growth or any fluctuation. And in Colby and Kinsey, they, they didn't have they're they're gunslinging entrepreneurs. Like they didn't yeah. have formal yeah. experience forecasting. Okay, so you would just take all the data from all, all your inputs. Like, okay, I have this much on hand, this mm-hmm. much incoming. I'm projected to run out on this date. We ordered this much last year. So like it's basically like a basic top-down forecast. Yeah, pretty basic. And um Stitch at that time was Stitch Labs actually was it aggregating all of the data effectively or I were you still doing I remember it, on Excel? it being pretty good at aggregating it but I was still just exporting the data to Excel yeah okay and that's what we find is like most most brands um it's like the, these these uh, these tools have like their native forecasting tools, but everybody chooses yeah. just to export it and just play around it with on their own yeah I mean it's hard to always trust that everything's going to be there. Yeah. There's there's a lot of external factors that aren't going to be native, just in the forecast, unless you're putting it in there, unless you know how to use the tools very well, which I didn't at the time. Yeah. So I wasn't able to go in and say, hey, this is our sales forecast. So Stitch Labs it, or whatever, it has to, at forecast phase, for me. <coughs> at this phase, it has to be mixed with your tribal knowledge or Colby's. Like, hey, so Col- like. How much did we sell from that one customer last? Did they say that? Like, it's, yeah. I feel like so much of forecasting at smaller companies is like that, especially if you're like a million dollars. Yeah, it's a lot of just tribal knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. You said before, um, when do you think the next big jump in, in operations happened? Like, if you had to quantify like a moment or like, 
what was it when you hired a director of ops? Was it when you expanded to a channel? Was it you had an explosion of sales? When was that next level past this $1 million mark? That's tough. I feel like everything blurs together at some point. Um, I mean, we started growing pretty quick after that. I think we had like, we jumped up from a million to four and then to eight and just kind of started ramping up and, when did you kind of become, I, I know you, you're yeah. COO, but like when did Colby like officially hand over the, like your ops, dude, you got It was this. like six months. I'd been there six months. So like middle 2018, Colby was like, Hey, do you want to be the COO? <laughs> and I was like, I don't even know what that is. Like, let me Google it. And then I kind of, you know, pieced that together. But that was kind of when it all happened. And mm. Colby, I don't know if, you know, knew something I didn't, but I was like, okay, I don't know what qualifies me for this, but <laughs> yeah. also just kind of hacking it. Yeah. Know, at that point of, it's look, most I'm, going to, I'm going through business school right now. I'm kind of learning some of these things. Let's just, I'll try my best. And, you know, I have pretty smart people around me and we'll problem solve. So that's kind of when that happened. And then we, yeah, as far as like the next operational jump, it's really hard to find a point in time. Well, the, this is where I'm I'm super curious because yeah. there is such a difference between a brand that outsources fulfillment through a 3PL, yeah. the evolution of a brand that does a 3PL versus somebody who doesn't. So like what is that what hires were you like what are the next hires? Because for, for me, yeah. like at Qualtree, um I, I used to be CEO of Qualtree. Um the hires at Qualtree, it's it's like it's all warehouse like that. That's yeah. That's like all my brain goes to. So for somebody who doesn't use, a th- or somebody who uses a three PL, what are those hires that you make? What I breaks? did not hire on my ops team until January twenty twenty two. Whoa! So it was just me until then. Until okay, like so a year and a half soloed. ago. Yeah. You soloed. Okay. From $1 million all the way up. Well, I guess you don't have to share financials, but like. Until like, but I mean, we were, when we hired but between like 15 and 20 million, I think I want to say. You were the sole operator from 1 million to 15. Wow. Yeah. We were around. Yeah. It was a lot. Mm. Again, though, I will say like we had our 3PL and then for a while we still work with them. We were working with a supply chain management company that okay. helped us with uh, like sourcing shift, and right. shift yep. global is their name. Yep. Great company, great people as well. And so a lot of stuff we outsourced as opposed to hiring ourselves. So yeah, I was the one on the thread team, but I also had really good partners that we were working with, mm. with Evobox and Shift. And I mean... We made it work. They're okay. great partners. And we found a lot of just really good ways to work together efficiently. And so, yeah, I didn't hire our now director of supply chain and ops until January 2022 wow. when I was sort of forced to do it because I was having a baby <laughs> that February. So I was like, okay, I got it. We were kind of getting to that point anyway, right? But it was like, if I don't get this guy hired early January, I'm not going to take any time I'm not going to be able to take any time off to be with my mm. wife and my new baby so that was when it happened and it, that's been transformative okay so th- this is this is where it's really interesting to me cuz yeah. I have I have no experience on our brand went the fulfillment in house route uh-huh. so you were your problems or your learnings and experience came from interfacing with the 3PL and interfacing with shift to the supply chain management group yeah. so and then your tasks from one to fifteen million. The f- your tasks is really purchasing, forecasting, logistics, and project management of of yeah. the the people, like the the three PL and, and the supply chain management group. Okay. Yeah, and yeah, there was a lot of things to learn. Things look different, really different from one to fifteen million. Let's but it okay. always just evolve, you know. Let's 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 dive into the. I'm curious about the three PL side first. Yeah. So, um, the the three PL choice was sort of out of a happenstance, um, and ended up being really good for you guys. Mm-hmm. That 
congrats on that because yeah, normally it doesn't work out. From, yeah, um, from what I've heard, we are very fortunate that we've been able to work with the same 3PL for like six years. Mm. So happily married. <laughs> uh, it is like a marriage, that's for sure. So go over some of the struggles that you've, like what were struggles that you you faced when you were young in your operations career? How did you handle it? And then give me an example of something now, like an issue happens, like, uh, I don't know, defective rates or like something goes out bad to the customer. Yeah. How do you handle it now? So uh, then versus now. Ooh, at the beginning, like honestly, the first thing that comes to mind is just from the beginning, always feeling like I was the reason we weren't growing at the pace that we could that we could have. That was difficult because it usually felt like, I mean, our marketing team was just blowing it up. We were selling a ton and I felt like I was always trying to keep up. So that was a big like stressor for me. I mean, it still is when that does happen. We're a lot better now. But back in the day, that really felt like it happened a ton. But like looking back at it, there were years that we were like 4X growth or like even just 2X. Like you would and blame like, yourself for yeah, under-purchasing? A little bit. I'd be like, geez, every every time, why didn't I purchase more? I should have seen this coming. Uh, that sort of thing. And so that was a little bit difficult. Did did leadership, uh, you don't have to throw anybody on the bus, but like... Yeah, yeah. Did... No, just I, go I, ahead. I, I won't. Did, did yeah. Colby and Kinsey, did they put that on you too? Like, dude, what? Like, freaking Mitch. Like, why can't he, you know, no, like, can he order more? They didn't, honestly. Like, wow, I think that's, that's, that's good. Cole and Ken's have always been so willing to, or like, so open to mistakes mm. and personal growth. And so, like, I don't think there was ever a time where I even had a, a sit down with any of them. And it was like, dude, you got to step it up or, X, Y, and Z, it was usually, well, we're all learning and we're growing really fast. And this is just kind of what happens. A lot of understanding and not wow. not much criticism, to be honest. And that was kind of the whole team. And we still have a lot, like our executive team is young and, you know, we have experienced a lot, but still in the grand scheme of things, a lot of us, not all, we have more experienced team members now, but those that have been around for like, since around the beginning, we're pretty young. And so we all know that nobody's going to be perfect. We're all going to mm-hmm. make mistakes. And, but yeah, that was hard. And I'm naturally hard on myself when the operations aren't going well. And that's still today. Gotcha. And so I don't even know if I would have benefited from somebody being like, I don't know, you're doing this wrong. You need to do better because right. <laughs> you can guarantee that I was going home every day that we didn't have whatever to sell. And I was thinking about it and obsessing over it and yeah yeah a lot of stress to take on i understand like yeah (laughs) especially dude especially the q4 rushes yeah i remember at at qualtree like uh, like just even just getting the funds to because you're gonna have this massive cash inflow and then you have this massive output like q2 um for d2c brands and And the natural and like and that's the that's that's when things are slow normally. I guess it, dep- it depends on the brand, but that's when it's slow for us. And like, it was so hard to like make sure you, and, and then when you over-purchase, like it's such a big deal the next year. And it's, yeah, and you're totally right. Like it felt like at that time, it was usually, oh man, we under-purchased. But then you would have the times where it's like, oh, we over-purchased. And I've got one story, Frick, talk about like, just horror stories, I guess. Yeah, let's hear it. I can't remember what year this was. I was pretty new and like purchasing and everything. And I totally overbought on some <laughs> phone cases. Oh, God. Dude, we've had that stuff. I mean, we're like... <laughs> it's like the I mean, these are, phone, these are like phone cases too. So like sizes come into play. It's not just like a wallet that's fine for a while. But like we last year we're selling through and we probably had this inventory for like three or four years. Oh, wow. And even when we bought like... We I totally overbought on this and I'm pretty sure Mackenzie's dad like gave us a loan to get us through like the tight oh cash God. flow cycle until like we could hit Q4 sales. And so like we still joke about that. Col- Colby and, and Kenzie, like during that time, they're probably like, like where's our cash? It's like tied up in I'm that like, shit. I'm like, I don't right know. There. I don't know where it is. Maybe <laughs> maybe our CFO's embezzling money. I don't know. Hey, Mitch, Ryan. you want to go on a street corner and sell <laughs> those stupid phone games? Maybe Ryan's just got it socked away. No, that was me. It was me. Um, okay, but yeah, so- that's like, 
I mean, that's kind of the stress of it. It always feels, even now, and then it feels like you, you can't get per, you can't be perfect. For a long time, I tried to be like, strive for that perfection, I guess, or always be like, we want to be perfect on these orders. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important that you just know you're not going to be perfect. Look at the numbers. Is it better if you're overstocked or understocked? Usually it's going to be, it's more acceptable when you're overstocked if you're growing, right? Right. But yeah, what are our off ramps to that? Do we have closeout and, channels? And do you have ways to liquidate? Do we have liquidate? ways to free up that cash? Do we have the financing if we need to, mm-hmm. to make sure that we're not, like we've got buffers, I guess you could say. Walk me through what led to yeah. that disaster. Like, how did you forecast that time? If you can remember. I'm pretty sure it was, yeah. I mean, what I was saying, pulling numbers into a spreadsheet, looking at it. I think what happened there is we had just had like an amazing summer. I actually remember the lead up to this. We had a really, really strong summer and phone cases were crushing it for us. And we ran out um, like towards the end of the summer. And I was like, I'm not letting that happen. So it was again. a little bit emotional. It was like, I think, like, man, lost opportunity. I'm yeah, it was like, I'm not letting again. that happen again. But I was looking at like, <laughs> and it's so stupid in hindsight. I'm like, how did I not like foresee that? <laughs> but I was like, yeah, July sales. You bet July sales are going to be <laughs> yeah. the same. And like, sales are going to be the same as in September and October. So let's do uh, it. So first off, the complexity with threads, yeah. again, in ops, it's around, like we'll dive into 3PL and the supply chain management stuff a little bit later, yeah. but let's let's stay in forecasting. So you're forecasting now, say you're forecasting for Q4. Uh-huh. What, are, what are some, like run us through your thought process, like what anomalies do you now look for that you weren't looking for before? Like who do you ask? Like uh, do you ask the wholesalers to like, Excuse me, that your sales reps who sell wholesale to produce their own forecast and give it to you. Yeah. Like, how how does that work now? Now it's a lot more collaborative with our sales team. In the past, it was kind of just like me trying to guess what the sales team was doing. I guess. Right. So, like, as of like a year and a half ago, we implemented a pretty good sales and operations process S and O P, where we are syncing. We just had our meeting today for the month. Beginning of every month, we sit down, ops, sales, finance, marketing, everybody sits down. We have a rolling, usually about rolling 12-month forecast. Okay. We talk about those forecasts. We analyze the prior month and talk about where did we miss on forecast? Were we over, Okay, so, so you're tracking forecasted versus actuals every month you're analyzing that. Yeah, every month we get together. It. We talk okay. about it at a product type level. We'll talk about it at a rep level sometimes. Um, Forecasting forecast. month to month, it yeah. being a little bit reactive. It, it's not not even re- reactive. That's like a shameful word almost. Like it's yeah. not reactive. It's like that's the nature of e-commerce. Like yeah, it, like something could blow up overnight, and you you have to like kind of assess that every month. Yeah, it is reactive to a point where it's like we're working. We tell like, hey, refine your forecast month to month whenever you can. But we're ordering like four to five months out. So from the operation side of things and the inventory, it's like, give us your four to five month forecast and things can change. Like maybe D to C is not performing as well. Mm-hmm. And so then we are being a little bit more reactive and editing our forecast. But it's it's a lot more collaborative. We're pulling in historical data. We're pulling in what different marketing initiatives we have going on promotional stuff. Got it. But we're having our sales team tell us that. Mm. So they are the ones that are telling us pretty much, we need this inventory for this time period. And we are the ones then going in and ordering the inventory. We split it out by like at the SKU level. They just tell us, this is what my top line revenue number is going to be. Pretty much is my split amongst product types going to stay the same? And then we will, is it going to stay the same or is it going to change? Where are we focusing marketing? What do we have going on? And then we go in and split it out at the SKU level based on performance and projected performance and stuff like that. Um, And then each month we're evaluating how we did the prior month and Mm -hmm. using that to inform whether we need to change forecasts, if we need to update. This is so interesting to me because like, this is why 
you know, Stitch Labs or NetSuite or uh, insert big hairy ERP. Like this is why I, I assume you don't forecast in NetSuite like directly in it. We don't know because like e-commerce is just fundamentally different. Like your approach to forecasting is so similar to all of the e-commerce companies. Yeah. Um, where it's it's typically what I see is top-down forecasting. You if if you're a company that does wholesale, you you aggregate all of your D2C sales. Mm-hmm. It's broken down by SKU. Like, okay, there's there's my here's what I sold last year, broken down by SKU. I'm gonna stick yeah. that over here. Then you ask your wholesalers, like it's almost like you project out every single one of your wholesale or your reps, like how much you're going to sell, break it down by SKU. Yeah. Okay, I got my wholesale bucket over here. I got my D to C. And then you apply some percentage of growth based on tribal knowledge or like marketing initiative yeah. X. Is that is that a good explanation? That's pretty good at it, yeah. And we let like our sales channel heads dictate what that growth looks like pretty much, looking mm-hmm. historically and then just like the landscape. And wholesale is a, a, an interesting one. We do a lot of specialty right now. Mm. So like we've got, I mean, we've got specialty, we've got regional players, and then we do have some national. Uh, So like specialty, we've got tons of different stores, right? And so that one's a little bit more like you, even within the wholesale bucket, we're bucketing wholesale. And then once, or sorry, specialty. And then once you get to like regional and you're like national chains, then it kind of becomes like a little bit more individualized to those Mm. guys. Yeah, yeah. But like each, that's the most complicated bucket for sure. Interesting. D2C is not quite as bad. And then we have our own retail locations that we forecast out. We've got five sales channels that we're all doing this for. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So have you ever tried to experiment with like a, because you have a great environment at Thread. Have you you tried to experiment with a different type of forecasting, like bottom up or like, um, eh. I don't know. Have you have you experiment experimented with anything different, or like bringing brought in somebody specifically for data analytics and yeah. like forecasting to try to improve it? Or so we've got some like data analytics software, just and like business intelligence stuff that we use. So we use a Netsuite product, okay. called Netsuite Analytics Warehouse. Okay, nice. And we use that for a lot of this. And, and we, what does that do, by the way? So, I mean, it'll aggregate our data. We're able to pull in forecasted amounts and just compare it with actuals. Okay. Split things up. It's primarily just a visualization tool. Got it. Okay. Um, So we'll show that and each sales channel will have that. And they are monitoring that throughout the month to see where are my sales for cross-body bags compared to my forecasted amount. What's my sales for this rep compared to forecasted amount. Stuff like that. So they can make change. So they're like knowing what to focus on during the month. Okay. And that's what we'll get together at the end of the month and look at together and just talk about where do we go wrong? How do we improve going forward? Mm. And, but even within that, like there's different machine learning models that we've used in the past to try and apply to our data. And what, what, without much success, to be honest. And I think like I'm not a data analyst like not super sophisticated, nor is anybody on our team. Like we know our way around this sort of stuff. But once you get to like machine learning and all that, it's there's so many different models and inputs that you have there. And it just hasn't quite been great for us because I think our historicals don't perfectly illustrate what the future is going to be for mm. us. And for us, that's a lot of like, if we're bringing on new wholesale accounts, no software is going to be able to capture that. Yes. Like if yeah. my VP of sales is telling me we're going to bring on X national account in six months, I mean, you can go into a software and like kind of extrapolate that and get your forecast and then just put it in there. But like for this instance, a machine learning model looking at solely historical data is not going to be able to forecast that out. Yeah. So that's partially why we do it in a more like, I don't know if you call it like ad hoc sort of way. Of, yeah. Yeah. We can take into account historicals and we use that to an yeah, extent. Ad, but then ad we're hoc also is way better than reactive. That's so then we're, yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, ad hoc. And then we're, uh, we're layering on what our sales channel heads know is upcoming. And that's yeah. been pretty good for us. We've done it for like a year and a half that way. It hasn't been perfect in any way, but much better than what we were doing. 
it really is, is. This is something that we're really curious about with Luminous because, like, I think with with D 2 C brands, I mean, for the first issue with having a good forecast is okay. You have to have a system of record uh-huh. that actually keeps track of your cogs, your incoming, your um, your inbound, how much you have a three PL, how much you have at Amazon. Mm-hmm. Like, so uh, your system of record that actually captures all of the data. Yeah, and then the forecasting tool on top of it. That's where Luminous is really curious about. Um, eventually, we want to build our own forecasting tool for the modern brand. And what does that look like? Well, kind of like what you're doing. Like we yeah. we want to service a client who who does forecasting like that and understands what's predictable for somebody, what's not, um, and you know help facilitate that type of forecasting because it's really it's more common than you might think um, and across e-commerce. Yeah, I mean. And I didn't come up with this on my own. It was different mentors that have been around the block and have kind of implemented something similar to this. And that's where we came, that's where we got it from. So I think there's a reason why people do it, but there's also a lot of ways that it can be improved. Yeah. You know, like there's pros and cons to doing it this way. Have you heard of particle? Like quick. I have, yeah. X, they used to be lose. Right, oh, L-U-Z? I, 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 I believe so. so. I, I've met with their director partner. You you were just bringing up like NetSuite's tool. I'm just curious. Like, yeah. Par- apparently, it's a um, it's a forecasting and analytics tool. Yes, I oh, I want to say it's the same guys. I think they rebranded their name, but I spoke to them years ago. Oh wow! I think when they they've were been still, around, they were still trying to get a little bit of product market fit it felt like but they've got a great product last i saw it mm. but we don't use it right now got it okay interesting so you even back then you're you still have your ear out for tools oh yeah yeah mm. taking way too many sales calls okay so he, here's a really good question right here as as an operator who didn't have to worry about fulfillment yeah. um you could have your ear out on the market for a bunch of tools as you know um and as I know, definitely, yeah. like the supply chain market and point solutions is so crowded. How how do you judge a good or a bad tool? Like, what what led you to like, for example, not decide on Particle or decide on Netsuite or um, decide on ShipStation? Like, how do you approach tech decisions? It's a good question. The kickbacks they give me. I <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Um, I mean, there's a lot. It's like, how easy is this to switch to? How easily can it scale for us? Does this company actually know what it is exactly they are doing or are they still trying to figure out their product? Mm. Um, yeah, because that's like a pretty quick turnoff for me is if I'm on a call and it doesn't quite seem like they, like they even know what they're trying to do. Right. Or like what their customer is and the value that the customer is going to get out of this, the product. When it, when it just feels like, hey, here's a bunch of features ah, that's and so, yeah. maybe you'll use them, but we don't know how, like, you know, does that kind of make sense? Oh, it's not, 100%. Not very well articulated, but when it's like, hey, we can do all these things for you, but it's not always so this, clear But this is value. really cool for like, even, <laughs> well, uh, two things I want to dive into. Number one, why I've met so many operators that are head down, yeah. like they don't they don't even have an ear out for tools. That, that that's my first question. Why do you have an ear out for tools? Like, why do you maintain that curiosity? And why is it important to do that? I think it is important. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you have your head in the ground for like whatever, if you're not looking for a year or two, things will progress quite a bit without you. And I'm kind of like, I like the stuff we use well enough. There could be other tools out there that are better. Yeah. I'm never going to say that our tech stack is perfect because it's absolutely not. Like yeah. we've had conversations about this and it's not perfect. I can't expect it to be perfect and there could be something better out there. And it's my job to make sure that I'm just putting the company in the best position possible. And that could change. It could be different. Our needs could be different a year from now than they are now. Right. So you, you just you're you keep your ear out because the company is ever evolving, and so is the tech market. And yeah. like, that's what's fascinating about e-commerce is it's like 
it is ever evolving and a tool can just pop up overnight that could yeah. change your like world. luminous yeah like luminous guys no it's true um, things can change pretty quick has there been a tool that you implemented um pro- I'm, I'm actually not talking about inventory or supply chain like yeah. what has there ever been a small tool that just like rocked your world like holy crap like that was easy to switch it was easy to use like it saved time uh, first one that comes to mind is, I mean, this is not even fully my domain, but back in stock notifications on Shopify, oh, nice. downloading so a super easy app that just allowed people to put in their email or their phone number and get texts and emails oh, when something was oh, back yeah. in stock. Okay. So like those things are easy, but that's so small. As no, far as a like, great example. Yeah. It's, like, it's little, like these are the it, little things that l- operators care about. Like, yeah, it's little you really, I don't think it's that expensive. It's easy to switch. You can have it up and going in a couple of days as compared to some softwares like that take a year long implementation. (laughs) And that's part of why though, I'm always trying to see what else is out there. It's like trying to see three years ahead for the company Mm, and realize that, okay, if I find a better solution tomorrow, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be implemented that quickly. Like it might be a year before we're seeing value from it. And we've still got to figure out how do we get out of our current contracts or, you know, like let that play out. How do right, we transition exactly. over? Like, especially with Thread, our business is more complex than it was back in the day. So any like transitions we do will just require time for us to make sure we're doing it right and we're not putting the business at risk. And so like when we do evaluate different products, at this point for us, stability is a Big factor of it. If we change from this to this, like how much is that going to cost? How how much is going to cost? Like, is there a chance that if we switch this, we're going to just totally mess up our growth trajectory and we're not going to be able to grow our wholesale business for whatever reason? Has there been a time when you underestimated the cost of implementation and you're like, oh, damn. (laughs) Like, yeah. uh, Like, you're talking. Cost, uh, overall cost, time, cost, like time, the like complexity introduced. Yeah, I like, mean the mortal enemy of Luminous Netsuite. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> You're leading me into that. <laughs> oh, maybe. I'm uh, just kidding. If you uh, take my hand, yeah, I'll no, take your hand. <laughs> we'll go on this adventure. <laughs> yeah, I mean we're on. So we're on Netsuite. We've talked about this, and yeah, it took way longer to implement than I thought it would. Yeah, and you know it's complex yeah and it's expensive expensive and complex and it's been good for us um but even then like if you had told me a couple years ago that there were other solutions that could get us where we wanted to go without the complexity like right now it's a good fit for us and we know how to use it well it's a part of our day-to-day operations it would be hard for you to get off it would be hard to get off and it works well for us and there's a sense of stability of we can grow our company 10x and you know we're not going to have to worry about it right so like that's that's and, nice. and like that the, the sense of stability yeah, yeah. the sin, and you pay for it for sure with yeah one, like with those well-known softwares that have been around for a while you're partially paying for the stability at least that's kind of how i view it but did we need it we implemented it, uh, I think we like signed to implement like three years ago. Uh-huh. It took a while to implement. Did we need it three years ago? No, not really. Like yeah. we didn't need everything that it offered. We still don't like make use of everything because it's so big. But like there was, I honestly feel like there was a pretty big hole in the market for us where it felt like we had to upgrade. But well, so let's, we didn't let's know dive where into to turn. that though. Like it, as an operator, because like, if you want to talk about like, big evolutions in the company. Yeah. You guys, you went to NetSuite. Like that's that's a massive decision. Yeah. Um and I I love your take on this cuz like at the time this is what luminous this is what I preach. Like yeah. it's e-commerce companies, they have a they they actually have a relatively predictable evolution that now in my opinion no, I, I think you're right. th- there's there's certain paths that you go like if okay if you go the no 3pl path like i can kind of predict your complexity markers yeah. in your business and so what happens is 
you you hit complexity marker number six, which for thread might have been wholesale and yeah. forecasting. And um, you're just like, man, like, okay, this isn't working. My inventory management system and ShipStation and Google Sheets and, you know, maybe like some whatever tool, it's not working for me. I need to, like, I need something better to scale. Yeah. How... When you were looking out of the market, explain that gap. Like, yeah, well, it's, I actually want to rewind a little bit before NetSuite. Tell a funny story. Like when we were, because we bounced around quite a bit, or like we've mm-hmm. had multiple ones, right? So we were at Stitch Labs, and it was really expensive, and we weren't getting the most out of it. How much were you paying, by the way? At Stitch I, don't, Labs? I don't even remember. Don't we? I won't. I won't ask. How I much mean, you're paying for NetSuite. <laughs> yeah, don't ask. Um, <laughs> I don't remember what we were paying for Stitch Labs, but I was looking for even then. Like I was looking for a new product right. or a new thing that would do pretty much the same thing for less. And it was so hard to find. Like it was really, really difficult. There was an obvious hole in the market. And, and when and, you say trying to find something specifically, a system of record that could get your inventory, your purchasing, your cogs, uh, forecasting, that's recordings, analytics. So like exactly. an actual system of record. So an not actual just system some... of record. And not like some of these ones that kind of will do one or two pieces of that. Like like Finale or SKUVault. Good like good yeah. inventory tools. They're fine. There's nothing wrong with them. But so like so we were with Stitch Labs and at the time we weren't really needing anything too complex. We just wanted to save money. So I was trying to find where can I go to, whatever. Like Googling it, who knows, you know, whatever. One day I'm sitting in class and I open up my laptop to go Google something and I get served an ad that literally says, tired of Stitch Labs? <laughs> Finale inventory or something like that. It was like, called it out exactly. And I was like, what, oh. what the heck? So Finale inventory, if you're it, listening, good job marketing person, luminous tactic there. But it like that caught my eye, and then we went through demoing and everything, and we ended up going with finale inventory. Interesting. I just totally changed the topic of what we were going to talk about. Um, but yeah, that was like a funny thing. No, no, that was that's still you switch from Stitch Labs to Finale. Stitch like Labs to Finale, and then the original question before I went off on a tangent was. <laughs> The, uh, was it the transition to NetSuite? Is that transition what you're to about? NetSuite and like the you talk about this gap on the gap yeah, in the market, well, right. I mean, which is that's why right. Luminous is here. Like, and I, I think mean, you guys have filled that hole well, but there did feel like a gap in the market where we were going from Finale, where we felt like we were kind of getting priced out with their pricing model. Mm-hmm. We were getting too big. Like the 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 software itself was fine, but there there were some things that we needed it to do that it couldn't do. Um, but it also, was, like it was, it was getting more to expensive. Right? It was, wholesale was a big part of it, where yeah. we were getting complex. We wanted to bring on reps, like a rep force, and give them a system that they could easily use. Which they don't use Netsuite, but most of the rep, like sales softwares, integrate with a NetSuite. NetSuite. Yep. So that was like a big reason why we started looking at that. Um, but we started implementing it, and like pretty quickly, it was apparent that we were driving a Toyota Corolla and we like upgraded to a Lamborghini almost. <laughs> that is a great... When a great really analogy. we could have gone from like the Toyota Corolla to like, I don't know, what's in the middle there? A BMW okay. even. Yeah. That's not quite at a Lamborghini level. I love, I love your analogy. Like you went from a Toyota Corolla to like, like a, 19, a Like a 1990 like, Corolla. And it's like, okay, I wish I could have just had something in the middle there, right. like a Range Rover or like that, a, that like, would, like something <laughs> nice. Like you're not, you're not mad to be driving a it. Model Three Tesla. A Model Three Tesla. Yeah, like not too, exactly. Like, oh, pretty high tech. I pretty understand nice, us. right? Like, yeah. That's kind of what we felt like we did as we went from mm. the Toyota Corolla to the Lamborghini, and then suddenly we're like, oh, this is, but, but this is hard. Thing. This like, is weird. This is complex. And it there was a learning curve at that time, though. It, like you said, it was really like you didn't even know anything else that existed that could service you. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, it's your ass if it doesn't work. It's true. So like you're never gonna get fired for choosing NetSuite. I no. hope so. It, well, <laughs> but like, yeah, you're you're right. It's, it's like it's a safe one. People think it's the safe thing, but like yeah, I, it's really interesting hearing your perspective because like that is. Yeah. That was my perspective of the gap in the market. It's like there's yeah. all of these tools over here, but like your your actual system of record, 
There's nothing in the middle. Like there's nothing that feels like purpose built for the modern brand to upgrade when right. they hit that yeah. that moment. And like over the last couple of years, I think we've really grown into it mm. with NetSuite where we're using a lot more of the features. It's more it's more a necessary part. It's become a part of the business. Yep. But I think that's also just like naturally you're going to grow into something, and yeah, you, you our have team to, knows you it. To it, we like, morph to our team yeah. knows it. We've built our processes around it. I mean, that's another thing is, yeah, maybe we were live on Netsuite after a year or so, but we still then had to train everybody and get you know so, and we probably could have done that better. I was the only one mm. working on the Netsuite implementation on our team, and so it was a ton of work. And, but I, I probably didn't do the best job of preparing my team for it. All right. So then we launched and there was a lot of training that still needed to happen. So yeah, talking about a software that we implemented and it was more costly in terms of like time spent. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like it consumed a lot of my time and took a while to get up and running. Mm. Here's, this is my last question because we're running out of time, but um, I, I did want to dive into a little bit. Um, yeah your relationship with the 3PL mm-hmm. and with um, Shift, so the supply chain management group. Yeah. So walk me through, there's some complex conversations that you undoubtedly have had with the 3PL and with Shift. Yeah, for like, sure. for example, the for 3PLs, your on-time percentage or your mistakes in shipping, like the defectives, um, you you're missing this this X percentage in receiving that yeah. shouldn't have gone through with shift like you're missing these deadlines like yeah. what what were some of the issues as the guy handling those things how'd you deal with it I mean both parties in this instance like we've worked together for five plus years and there's always the little there's issues you know and you pretty much listed them all out there <laughs> that pop up but I don't know. It's kind of like just realizing that everybody's trying to do what's best for their company. And if it's a true partnership, they're also trying to do what's best for you. But that doesn't mean that we've always, like mistakes are made, whatever. And But we're constantly evaluating, okay, do these partners have what it takes to get us where we want to go? It hasn't been, and like you talk to them too, it hasn't always been just smooth sailing and five years of blind love and trust. Uh, it's a lot of time, just like with software, I am like listening for what else is out there. What other mm-hmm. options do we have as a company? Because it's my duty to put the company in the best position as possible. Right. And I love our partners and they've been fantastic and we wouldn't be where we are without them. But like that is my duty. And so just being honest about what our needs current like always are. Uh, I really and, like that. And our partners of Shift and Evilbox have done a fantastic job of either saying, yes, we can be this for you as your needs are evolving, or no, we cannot. Mm-hmm. And up until now, like they've been very good at I mean, even changing their business model in a in a sense and changing how they do business to work better with us. Yeah. And like they've sacrificed a lot for us. And I think that's where the relationship has stayed strong. But for us, it's always been like, we want the best thing for our business and what's going to be the best. We're going to clearly communicate that to you. Is this something you can do for us? Yes or no? Like, Mm. yes, reasonably we can do this or no, we can't. And we will give anybody that comes to us a fair opportunity to win our business. I, I like and that. they've done that every like they've done that along the way where it's like mm. they have won our business not just the one time that we like signed on with them. But the five times you evolved. But the five times we've come yeah. to them and say, this is what we need. Can you do this? And that's where it's been a good partnership. And I think we have all benefited by going through the growth together of everybody's company. Like they've kind of done the same thing too, where they've grown and they come to us and say, hey, can you do this for us? What's going on? Like, this is what we're seeing. And so that's been really good. And it, we try not to take the approach of, you did this wrong, make it right. Yeah. Or else. <laughs> it's like, a, hey, 
This doesn't meet our expectations. What's going on? Let's collaborate. Oh, Here's the problem. Let's sit on the same side of the table together and try to address the problem. Like you aren't the problem. The problem is this other thing. Let's find a solution that works for mm-hmm. all parties. We view our clients the same way. And you know, not every client it comes to the table like that. Yeah, um, which is really hard. If, yeah. if you don't know what your client wants and then they suddenly just leave, it's like, what well, yeah. you could have given us the chance, yeah. I, so I, and I really, everybody, you know, leaves with a sour taste. I, I like I like your approach though, because it's not like you're not just forever married to like all of those partners. It's like no, they have to continue to win your business, and you, your priority first is the company and the evolving needs. And if Thread ever evolves to need you know, feature X from a 3PL, then like you'll go to Evo box and be like, Hey, this guy can do all of this and this. And yeah, absolutely. Uh, interesting. And, and we feel like it's our job to go to our partner from the beginning and say, look, we need this. You have every chance to give us this and let's see what happens. That's, I really like that advice. Like uh, I, I wish I would have had, Advice similar to that. I don't think I've always approached ops back when I was an operator like that. I I, I definitely do now, but um, yeah. no, it's hard. I mean, ops is stressful, and sometimes it's the it's, it's easy to point fingers. It, yeah, like it really it's, is. it's easy to point fingers and say you did this wrong, you suck. Why are you doing this to me? But that's not really usually the case. For the most part, people are doing their best. And a lot of times it's like communication's not there or Mm. people just haven't even thought about it. Like it's not our partner's job to always anticipate our needs. We need to effectively communicate our needs. It's like marriage counseling. Yeah, and if if it's not a good fit, then it's not a good fit. It's okay, like no shame. It's not, you're not bad, I'm not bad. It's just, it's what it is. Like we couldn't serve each other. Yeah, exactly. And that way everybody can leave at least feeling like it was, like a fair exchange, I guess. Yeah. And so, yeah. That's really good advice. I feel like that's one thing that we've tried to do. We probably haven't done it always the best, but that's what we strive for. Yeah, the Evo box guys watching like this asshole. Yeah, I just right, throw right. that in there. So, <laughs> sorry, guys. <laughs> okay, last question, because um, we're running out of time. Um, what's, because a theme here has been like, you know, you react to the evolutions of Thread. What's what's next for Thread as far as evolution goes? Like, what are what are you doing next to keep it fresh? What's changing right now? You know, really getting into AI and transforming <laughs> to like digital wallets for crypto. Oh yeah, just that's right. yeah. Um, I mean, we're launching new products, trying to diversify our product line. Mm. Um, now, is it, when you say diversify your product line, are you like expanding to totally new lines or just like more colors or both? New lines primarily. I mean, we're, we're always coming out with new colors, but we're aspiring to be the everyday carry brand. Okay. So, so bags, backpacks. Bags, backpacks, but trying to be innovative in the products mm. that we're developing because there's a million backpacks and there's so many bags on the marketplace. Yeah, yeah. Um, so trying to come at it with our own spin nice. and develop innovative products that resonate. Okay. So that's the next thing. And then, I mean, also growing into our wholesale channel, we still see a ton of potential there and think we can get into um, some big stores and get a little bit more awareness and eyes on the brand. Nice. I mean, so serve, more expansion into big box retail. Yeah, a little bit more. And we think we could be a big partner there and our stuff will sell very well. Yeah, I think so too. Um, last piece of advice, um, talking to operators who are at old Mitch's level, like million dollars revenue, sub one million, you're kind of like handling everything. What would Mitch now tell Mitch back in, uh, was it 2016? Yeah, 2018. 2018. But um, I don't know, just nobody has all the answers. I used to be pretty intimidated when I would like go meet with a 3PL or meet with a potential partner or something like that. Mm. 
and be like, man, these guys are just going to see right through me. Uh, like I've got this title that (laughs) I don't really deserve and I'm not that like, you know, whatever, but like not everybody knows. And more than anything, just admit what you don't know and be happy with that and learn, ask questions. Don't yet. Don't act like you've got it all together if you don't have it all together, which none of us do. Yeah. Yep. Ask the questions, learn, and try and just be a sponge. Soak up everything. I've been really fortunate to be at Thread from where we were to where we are today. And I've learned so many different lessons through that five or six years or so. And so it's been invaluable, I would say. No, that's that's great advice. And yeah, last thing I'll say is, I think um, we love the the Thread team and uh, I've met all of you guys individually now. And I can see why your brand is still growing and evolving. Like you can see very much in the culture that Kinsey and um, Colby have pushed and more specific to this podcast that you have pushed. Thank I think you. probably the way that you have dealt with Shift and EvoBox and the humility in approaching those partnerships, that's why you've been with them for five years is my guess. And that's why you guys still remain to have like one of the best reputations in Utah. So well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been through a lot of hard work and just figuring stuff out when we didn't know it. And yeah, we still don't know everything, but it's been a ride. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. Okay. All right, man. Well, that's uh, that concludes the podcast. That's um, a wrap. That's a wrap. Cool, dude. We'll see you guys next week for episode four. Right on. Peace.